It is, uh, it is so great to be here this morning and teaching and sharing with everybody here today. Uh, it's good to see my family here. I just love seeing them here, so I'm glad you guys all came here. Don't heckle me while I'm doing the message. Just do that afterwards. Anyway, so good morning, West Bowles. Uh, we are continuing our God in the Movies summer series this morning, and I'll be talking about the movie Oz the great and powerful. Now, I love this series because one, I like to uh, watch movies, and two, I like to find God connections and themes in the movies that I watch. I have taught many a times uh, this kind of movie series with the Acacia group and with the, with the youth group in years past. I've done The Matrix. I've done movies like The Island. Um, no joke, even one time I did an Adam Sandler movie called Click. I talked for an hour, and that's about how, about how long I'll be talking about here this morning. No, just kidding. Anyway, so, um, so I look forward uh, to this series, and, uh, and I'm glad to share my spiritual insights uh, this morning on Oz the Great and Powerful. Now, this movie is a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. Disney uh, produced this movie and so far has grossed over $500 million worldwide at the box office. And I don't know about any of you, but um, if you've seen Wicked, that is also a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. And Wicked, I absolutely love that musical. It is is so good. I, I I just... I just love it. Anyway, now this movie, I took my entire family opening weekend. We saw it in 3D. We probably spent like 80 bucks, and, uh, and we did like it a lot. Now, I did not dress up, though. Um, I have been known to dress up for movie premieres, but I did not do it for this one because I don't want to scare my kids or any other kids. But one of my most favorite things to do is to dress up randomly for movie premieres. So uh, one time I dressed up like Gandalf uh, from the movie, uh, the, uh, not, what's it called, Lord of the Rings, for a Batman premiere. Everybody is just, I mean, I have this big staff and this cleaner's walking around like this. Everyone's like, what is going on? What is that guy doing? It's just funny. I mean, it just makes everybody laugh. You know, what is that guy doing? Anyway, so Oz, this movie, it, it's loud, it's big, it's colorful. Um, it has lots of great special effects, and um, I really like the storyline. So before I get started this morning, let's watch the Oz the Great and Powerful movie summary. So here it is. Here's everything you need to know about Oz in 5 minutes, 12 seconds. In an early 20th century traveling circus, Oscar Diggs, a.k.a. Oz, is nearly as good at magic tricks as he is at flirting with women. But when a woman for whom he has true feelings visits, Oz admits that his true loves are magic and invention. I want to be Harry Houdini and Thomas Edison all rolled into one. Unfortunately for Oz, one of his dalliances happens to incite the jealousy of the world's strongest man. Oz makes a daring escape into a hot air balloon, But his timing is unfortunate, and he is sucked into a large tornado that has suddenly materialized on the Kansas landscape. Oz is tossed around in the storm, and when he wakes, he finds himself in a land of stunning technicolor. Now in the land of Oz, Oz meets a beautiful woman who also happens to be a witch. The witch, Theodora, believes Oz is a wizard, 
foretold by prophecy, who will save the land and its people. I knew it! Oh, the king's prophecy was true! He said that a great wizard bearing the name of our land will descend from the heavens and save us all. Oz is tempted by the promise of financial gain and tells Theodora that he is, in fact, a wizard. Oz, up to his usual tricks, woos Theodora. She falls in love with him. Theodora takes Oz to the Emerald City to meet her sister, Evanora. Evanora is skeptical that Oz is the wizard from the prophecy and tasks him with killing the Wicked Witch to prove himself. She's a wicked witch. And your magic is the only thing strong enough to destroy her. All you have to do is journey to the Dark Forest and destroy her wand. Her wand? Yes, it's the source of all her power. Without it, she dies. Oz travels to the Dark Forest to defeat the Wicked Witch, but it is Glinda, the Good Witch, who he finds. I'm Glinda the Good, the Witch of the South. I thought Evanora was the Good Witch. Evanora is the true Wicked Witch. Conniving and as cruel as they come, she's fooled most everyone, including her own sister. She made everyone believe that I poisoned my father, but it was her. Back at the Emerald City, Evanora uses her crystal ball to prove to Theodora that Oz has a wandering eye, and his eye has landed on Glinda. Heartbroken, Theodora eats an apple given to her by Evanora to rid her of her heartache, but the apple transforms her into an evil witch, complete with green skin. <laughs> Glinda knows Oz is not a wizard, but she believes he can inspire the people nonetheless. I can also tell you're weak, selfish, slightly egotistical, and a fibber. But after a visit from the now-transformed Theodora, Oz is inspired. Using the power of trickery and the convenient skill sets of the unlikely soldiers, Oz makes his way to the Emerald City. Meanwhile, Glinda is captured by Evanora's minions and brought to the Emerald City to face public torture. But Oz intervenes, using literal smoke and mirrors. Get it back on. The Wicked Sisters are convinced by Oz's tricks. Theodora, ever the stereotypical witch, flees via broomstick. Glinda confronts Evanora, and in the ensuing battle, lifts an amulet from her neck. The formerly beautiful Evanora decomposes so that her physical appearance matches her inner evilness. Evanora is carried off by her minions, though her fate in a ditch, squashed by a house that pitched, has already been sealed. Having defeated the witches, Oz establishes his rule over the Emerald City, maintaining his facade as a powerful wizard. One day he will be found out by a girl trying to get home, but for now, the man behind the curtain, and the good witch with him, is hoping no one is paying attention.
Thank you to John and Manda who put together yet another good movie summary. So thank you to John and Amanda. They're so great doing that every single week for us. Now, there are a lot of Christian ties and themes in this movie. You have faithful friendship that you see between Oscar and Finley. That's the monkey. Finley is a good role model. He hates lying. He remains loyal to Oscar to try to change him for the better. Oscar eventually chooses selflessness over selfishness. He leaves behind a life of lies. Oscar wants to be great and powerful, yet ends his selfish ways and becomes good. Um, Oz, at the beginning of the movie, cries out to the heavens for help, saying, get me out of here and I'll do great things. I promise. I can change. When his prayer is answered, he points to the sky and says, thank you, you won't regret this. Now the prophecy very interesting. The prophecy of Oz is that a savior will come from above and free their land from evil. Oz was not what they expected, yet he was what they needed. Oz, even um, at one point in the movie, does a miracle by helping a girl walk again. Evanora and Theodora believe him to be the one they have been waiting for. Even at the end of the movie, he kind of dies and comes back to life to drive evil away and save all the people of Emerald City. I mean, it sounds, there's some similarities right there, some biblical similarities. This movie has Christian themes, like I said, of loyalty, needing a savior, redemption, change, selflessness, friendship. God can use anybody. But the theme I want to focus on this morning is the idea of how the enemy uses illusions to trick and deceive us. What is an illusion? It's a false idea. It's a deception, something that is unreal. It, it may have a misleading appearance or image. So let me show everybody some illusions to you right now. Here's a wedding picture of a recent married couple in our church. Here's Rebecca and Dan. Uh, they look really cute in this picture. It was taken in the uh, back prayer garden. And uh, as you can see, Rebecca does have like a, a little chin a neck shadow growing, a five o'clock neck shadow going right there. All right, let me show you another illusion. This is Nathan and his dad, Dave Harrison. Uh, and that's, I guess, Nathan's uh, BFF from high school. I mean, they're just, they all look great together. Um, obviously, this is a, an illusion. Another one, we have Dave Beatty. Uh, it, with his hippie fro. And obviously, this is illusion because Dave has hair. Anyway, um, I have another quick illusion. It's in the form of a video. So if you want to go ahead and start rolling this video, uh, this is a great uh, video right here. Um, it's going to, it sounds like Todd Lanting. It, it looks like Todd Lanting. He dances like Todd Lanting. Uh, but it's actually, that's not Todd. I mean, a lot of people think that's Todd, but it's not. It was great news there. There you go. That's not Todd. Um, we didn't even have to, like, put his face. That's not even Photoshop. That really, no, uh, we actually found that uh, video. It's, I think it's double dream hands or double dream feet, something like that. So uh, it looks like Todd, but it's not. The video is misleading. I'll never forget uh, last summer with my family, um, all five of us were, were walking down Pearl Street in Denver. 
and we're just, we're just having a great time. And we're noticing all these cute uh, young couples walking hand in hand, you know, down the street, down the sidewalk of Pearl Street. And uh, we thought, you know, it'd be sure funny to mess with all of, of these couples. So what we did is we had my uh, five-year-old, she, well, she was five at the time, five-year-old daughter, she's really cute, blonde hair, blue eyes, um, and we were with her the entire time. Just, I gotta preface it with that. We were with her the, the entire time. And we would have her run up to couples on the sidewalk and look at the guy and say, Daddy, Daddy, I love you! And just... We just loved watching the reaction on people's faces, especially the women. They're just like, wait, what? What's, what's going on? Who is this girl? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we were setting up an illusion that uh, that, that, that guy was um, her dad. Anyway, okay, maybe not funny. I don't know. I thought that was funny. Well, in this movie, Oscar uses illusions to do his magic. And, and on one hand, we know that, you know, dark arts and witchcraft and witches and sorcery, those are all wrong. But on the other hand, magic, well, I, I think that's okay. And that's, it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, magicians use smoke and mirrors, like in, like in the movie, sleight of hands, and they uh, use distractions to trick us and mislead us. I uh, love watching and trying to figure out how they, they do their tricks. Um, years ago, about 10 years ago, I was on a college group cruise, and a guy up on stage did something like this. He turned into a woman, and even that, you're just like, what? How'd that happen? And then all of a sudden, he jumps up out of the audience and starts running towards the stage. I mean, you're just like, that, that's good stuff. I don't know how they do that. Um, I was on a high school youth trip, and I had some rings on, and he took off one of my rings, and he went like this. It disappeared. That's cool. All of a sudden, he pulls... Out of his pocket, he pulls a wallet, and on the wallet, connected on a keychain, was the ring. I mean, that's, that's just some good stuff right there. On my honeymoon this year, we, uh, we saw uh, 20 people suspended on a stage like this in a cage. The bottom drops off. They all disappear. Again, fun stuff. So magicians, they use illusions. And right now, in fact, there's an illusion taking place right on the stage. I look taller and stronger than I really am. Why? Well... The, my shoes, I have a little heel on them that adds a little bit. I have an undershirt on under this shirt, under the suit coat. It makes me look stronger and bigger. And then the, my uh, shoulders here, they're not that broad. I have pads in here that make it look like I'm a little bit, you know, stronger than I really am or a little bit broader. But illusions, they're a false idea. It's something that's unreal or a misleading appearance. And the enemy uses illusions to trick us. Now, in the movie, Theodora is tricked by Evan Nora into taking a bite from an apple. Once she takes a bite, her eyes are opened and is able to discern between good and evil. And it gave her a newfound knowledge and insight into everything. This story sounds familiar to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And uh, in chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they were living in paradise. But then they messed it all up and went against God's plan. They were misled and deceived. God said, you can do anything, every, you can do whatever you want, just don't touch the fruit of that tree. And they did. There was an illusion of something better. 
So open your Bibles right now to Genesis 3, or you can look on the screen. And we are going to read from Genesis 3 right now. 3-1, the fall of man. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan is trying to trick Eve. Two through five, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent is lying. He's being deceiving. He's being misleading. Satan is making it sound like it'll be great if she eats the forbidden fruit, that everything will be fine or maybe even better. The great deceiver is clever and crafty. In verse five, you see, your eyes will be open. Yeah, it's a half truth. Their eyes were opened, but resulted in something different than what the serpent had promised. Read three, six through seven. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and food uh, and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was right there uh, with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The devil makes wrong things look right. The enemy gave them the illusion that they'd be better off if they took a bite from the fruit of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve got tricked. We also get tricked by the enemy. Now before I get started on my three points of how the enemy tricks us through illusions, we all have to get on the uh, same page first. We are in a battle. There is a fight going on, whether we realize it or not, whether we want to admit it or acknowledge it or not, or whether we just are trying to ignore it or not, there is a battle. There is a fight going on between right and wrong, good and evil, God and Satan. It's taking place all around us. Bob McPherson always used to preach this verse. 1 Peter 5 8 reads, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Evil and sin are real. Our, our current culture sometimes tries to say otherwise, but it's real. There is a battle. We can look at what's going on in the world right now, and we can look around at the history of the world and quickly realize that there's evil. Think of all the death and the destruction and the shootings and all of that. It's going on. Evil and the enemy are real and there's a battle going on around us and in us every single day, even in the smallest practical ways in our daily lives. A practical example for me, I was doing my uh, 2012 taxes this year and by clicking on one seemingly insignificant box on the TurboTax program would change 
my refund by almost $1,000. I was going to get an extra $1,000. It would have been a little dishonest, eh, just a little. Um, everybody fudges on their taxes a little bit. Think of all the good I could do with the money. I need that money. It's not that bad. The IRS will never know. Like they're going to come after me. I'm a church worker. Anyway, that day with that spe specific decision, right and good one out. But the enemy wants to start with little things first. Little things. And he wants to get us on this slippery slope of making poor or wrong decisions. And he's going to start with the small things. So this morning I'm going to talk about three illusions the enemy uses to trick us. Number one, illusion of good intentions. Kierkegaard wrote, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The enemy knows what he is doing. He makes us believe that just because we thought of something to change or add into our lives or to do something new or different, that there's actually merit in that or that we've actually done it already. Intentions or promises give us the illusion that we're moving forwards towards good, but most likely we are actually moving away from it. Quick paraphrase of Matthew 21, 28 through 32. One brother says, yes, I'll work in the vineyard, of course. I'll be right on out. The other one says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And the one who said yes, he doesn't follow through. The one who says no ends up doing what his father wanted. Then Jesus responds with a harsh statement about doing what is right. And obeying God's will is the way of righteousness. And obviously that includes believing what Jesus was teaching about how one enters the kingdom of God. But righteousness is right living. It's, it's acting justly in an upright manner. It's a matter of action. In the movie, Oz, when he was asked to help, first he's like, no, I'm not going to help. And then he decides... To, he ends up helping the people of us. We get tricked thinking there is value in our empty words, promises, and intentions. Has God laid something before you or me or us? We must be careful of saying yes too quickly because then the enemy gives us the illusion that by saying yes, that that has some merit. We may even trick ourselves or others that, we'll, that we have actually done what we promised just because we've said yes to something. You know, it makes us feel good. We become pleased with ourselves when we say yes to something that's good or right. It hasn't been done until we do it. The enemy wants us to live in the arena of good intentions. And we have, all have to realize that when something in our, our heart or minds moves us to, to good or right, the enemy is right there to distract us. Paul writes in, in, in Romans 7.21b, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I love the book uh, Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And uh, I use some of examples here about how this plays out in our daily lives. When we sit down to, to read the Bible or start to pray or heading to church, something always seems to come up. You know, oh, I'm going to read the Bible. Uh, I'm hungry. I'll do it later. 
Or when we sit down to pray, we remember, oh, we have to get something else done. Or I'm going to go to church this morning. Actually, I'm tired. I had a late night last night. I'm just going to sleep in. I'll go next week. Or if we are heading to church, we, we get in a crazy fight with our spouses. Or how about when we tell somebody, yeah, I'll pray for you. Do we follow through? We have good intentions. I need to call or do something for this person that's been going through a difficult time. Well, I'll get to it next week. I want to bring somebody a meal that's, uh, that's going through a difficult time. Ah, I'm busy tonight. I don't have money this month to give to this charity or the church, but maybe I'll get around to it next month. Uh, maybe once I make more money. We start getting a deep spiritual thought or some kind of conviction or new revelation, then we're quickly distracted by something mundane as the laundry or hunger pains or checking our cell phone? Do we think that this is all just happens by chance and coincidence? It happens to all of us. Even last week, Todd gave us a, a challenge of finding somebody and saying, what can I do for you today? How can I help you? We probably all thought, oh, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. But how many of us actually followed through even right now, we have good intentions going to church, but we get distracted so easily. Our minds, we can wander all over the place. We can think about the, the woodpecker that's actually, it's not banging right now, but sometimes it's packing on the back of our church or, uh, you know, or the, the roof is leak or cracking noises or, or where are we going to lunch today? Where are we going to lunch today? I don't know what, what anybody's saying, but where are we going to lunch? You know, we just start, our minds start to wander. Or, we could be sitting here right now thinking, oh, you know, that person over there, they're a hypocrite. They're annoying. I don't like them. I'm bored. I'm a good person. I don't need this. The enemy messes with us. Always messing with us. Even for me, he starts to tell me even right now, you know, that, that whoa, what I'm saying is not relevant or I'm going too long or I'm sweating too much or I'm not doing a good job or my voice is cracking or I'm not using enough scripture, whatever, on and on and on. The enemy is always messing with us. He's playing around with us. We have an adversary that's trying to distract, divert, trick, and mislead us into not focusing and doing the eternally important things in life. The great deceiver gives us the illusion that the unimportant, the trivial, the immediate, the temporal is more important. We know what is important, but the question is, are we going to act on, follow through, and live out daily the eternally important things in life? James 1.22 reads, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Is God calling us to do something good? Is God calling you to do something good, biblical, right, noble? How long do we have to think and pray about it before we just do it? What are we waiting for? Enough with the religious words, empty promises and good intentions. Let's all start living righteously today. Number two, the illusion 
of reality. Illusions can be seen in movies and media and entertainment. Turn on the TV and we're being sold a bunch of false ideas and misleading messages. If you buy this or that product, you'll be happier. If you own this, your family's gonna be closer. If you chew this gum, the opposite sex will find you irresistible. If you drink this beer, you're gonna have a great time. If you use this chocolate-scented body spray, you know, uh, girls will be chasing you down the street. They're illusions. How about when we're walking into the grocery store? You know, we look at the checkout line and you see the girl on the front of a magazine. And the, these women have a lot of makeup on. They've been airbrushed. They've been photoshopped. They're illusions. Women start to think that's what they maybe need to look like. Or maybe men. They think that's what women should look like. But it, it's not real. What about on TV? We see a family. They work out their problems and forgive each other in a 30-minute episode. And we start to think, why doesn't that happen in my family? It's not real. It's an illusion. It's made up. It can take a lifetime to work through issues and come to reconciliation and broken family relationships. In the TV show Bachelorette, um, not that I watch it every Monday at 7 p.m. on ABC High Def Channel 652, but if... <laughs> If I did watch it, let's just say I did, I would try to pair it with something that was more manly, like maybe a barbecue, you know? So you could be eating bratwurst, eating a burger, and watching The Bachelorette at the same time. You know, balance things out a little bit, you know? Uh, that's how I would do it. Um, and I don't want to lose my man card because I'm barely holding on to that thing. But women and some men, uh, and some men love the show because it sets up the illusion of two people falling in lasting love. They've had 17 uh, seasons, and maybe only a couple of the winners are married. The process obviously does not work. It's an illusion. I talked with one of the Bachelor contestants a couple years ago at Saddleback Ranch Restaurant in California on a youth trip, and um, he said that the scenes are edited in a way in which they're pieced together they piece together conversations that didn't even happen. So you know what that means? Even reality TV is not real. We need to be mindful and careful of the illusions that we see in the media. Why doesn't my spouse look or act or do this or that? Why didn't I fall in love like that? Why is my family not perfect? Why doesn't everything work out for me in the end? Number three, illusion of time. I'll be happy when, dot, dot, dot. I'll be happy when I get that guy, when I get married, when I pass the test, get the boat, make more money. We'll talk about that one in a second. Uh, get, get that promotion, graduate, buy a house, get pregnant, win the lottery. I'll be happy when, dot, dot, dot. Fill in the dot, dot, dot with whatever you think or want. I'll be happy as soon as. The enemy wants us to live in either the past or the future. The enemy wants to focus on, on past hurts or mistakes or maybe even past moments of happiness. Or the enemy wants to do that in the future. I'll be happy when this or that does or doesn't happen. God, contentment, joy, our actions live in the now. Our actions and decisions in the past, we can't change them. We can learn from them. We can maybe predict or hope or have good intentions about the future. But what we do know that we have 
is the moment of right now. The enemy wants to rob us of our joy and contentment by making us think that we can't because of our past or that we will because something may or may not happen in the future, but God wants us to experience joy and contentment right now. I learned about a study in one of my classes about happiness, and they did a long-term study with all these people, and they measured their life satisfaction levels. They found that when people had something like huge, big, awesome, like winning the lottery, something like that, there was a slight increase, a momentarily slight increase in levels of happiness, then go right back down to normal. Or if something horrible, uh, crazy bad happened to them, a slight decrease in their levels of happiness, and then would go right back to normal. What does that say? This shows that it's an illusion to think we'll be happier when this or that does or doesn't happen. I think we are just creatures that we're always waiting for the next. I think about raising kids and as parents, we're always hoping that the next stage will be easier or better or whatever. It's like, as soon as they get out of diapers, as soon as they can get in the car seat by themselves, as soon as they can sleep through night, as soon as they, you know, as soon as, as soon as, you know, as soon as they're out of the crib, we forget to enjoy and appreciate the now because we're focused on something later. I think we even do this in our life stages. We think things are going to be better or easier. I'll be happier when I get out of high school, when I get out of college when I start my career, when I get married, when I have a baby, when I'm done raising kids, when I'm a grandparent, or the big one, as soon as I retire. We get so focused, and we're hoping and reaching and striving for the next that we forget about experiencing the now. Growing up, we would uh, drive to California on some road trips, and we'd always ask my dad, what's next? What are we gonna do 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 next? And I remember my dad saying, stop, just stop worrying about what's next. Just enjoy right now. Paul wrote a best to the church of Philippi. He, um, he was chained in, in, in a prison when he wrote this. It's in Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Be content in any and every situation. And you know what? The enemy, the enemy is sure trying to push against that. A lot of people think that they'll be happier when they make more money, have a certain amount of money. Everybody wants to have more money. Everybody thinks that they're underpaid. Everybody thinks they'll be happier to make more money, uh, happy, happier when they make more money. It's an illusion. I watched the uh, Katie Couric show last week. Well, actually, I heard about somebody that they told me an episode about the Katie Couric show. It was, yeah, something like that. But the episode was about people's lives after they win the lottery. Most of them, they wish they had never even won it. We think that having more possessions or money will make our lives better, easier, and happier. It's an illusion. Or we, once we think we get to a certain number, they'll be happy. Once we have X amount of dollars, we'll be, we'll be good and right. The enemy makes us think that once we get to the next level, then we'll find contentment, comfort, and safety, rather than just being content where we're at now. I saw a bumper sticker years ago that said, and it's so true of American culture, whoever dies with the most wins. We know this is false, but we live like it's true. Years ago, I got a hot tub, one of one my entire life. 
I finally got one. I never used it. It was always broken. It was annoying. I had to fix it all the time. Possessions often leave us wanting more, the next, the newest. They break. We get frustrated. They leave us in debt. And they don't quite bring the happiness we thought that they would. We can't do anything about yesterday. We don't know if we have tomorrow. All we have is today. And I'm not saying we shouldn't think and, and, and reflect on our stories or where we've come from or that we shouldn't plan ahead for the future, but what we are guaranteed is right now. The enemy wants us to have regrets about the past, worries about the future, and do nothing about the present. So we have three illusions of how the enemy tries to trick us with good intentions, with reality, with time. And you should be thankful for the preaching advisory team because when I first drafted the sermon, I had nine illusions. And uh, so we narrowed it down to three today. But we need to be careful that we're not sucked into the, to the lies and illusions of the world. We're in a battle of our lives against the devil's schemes and we must put on the full armor of God. In the movie, it's easy to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong. It's a little tougher to see how that plays out in our daily practical lives. In the movie, they came up with a plan to fight against evil. We, too, need to come up with a plan and then follow through with it. We are all going to get tricked by the enemy's lies and illusions, just like Adam and Eve. So let's go back to Genesis 3. I'm finishing up right now. Genesis 3, uh, what are we reading here? Right after Adam and Eve fell for the tricks of the enemy, what happens? Let's read 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? They were afraid and they went into hiding. When we make a mistake or when we get duped by the enemy, we try to hide from God. We ignore, we turn away from the very thing that will bring us life and, and to get us back on track. We have all fallen for the illusions of the world. We've all been tricked. God wants to show us something real, something true and eternal. And God is asking every single one of us right now, where are you? And we know it's a rhetorical, a rhetorical question. It's funny because God already knows where you're at. You're in seat 7B, 15A, 13-9-er, right there. God knows where we're at. But God wants us to admit where we are and be honest with ourselves. We've all lost battles. We've all been discouraged. We've all tried to hide from God. No matter what we have or haven't done, God is still looking around and calling out to us, where are you? He wants us to turn away from the illusions of the world and join his team in the battle against the enemy. So how are we doing in the battle against the illusions of the enemy? Are we trapped in the illusion of good intentions? Are we stuck in the thinking that what we see in the media is real? And do we live in the past and the future and not the present? 
We've all been tricked. And God is walking around right now asking, where are you? And there's nothing better than knowing where you're at with God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We know that every single person is here this morning, is here for a reason, and that you love them. And Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son to not only die for our sins, but to show us how to live. And we pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I uh, hope to see everybody next week. Nathan Harrison will be preaching on Wreck-It Ralph. So thanks for coming.